You're listening to What She Said, a podcast for bloggers and creatives hosted by me, Lucy Sharif, a freelance journalist living in London. Each week, I interview different women in blogging and the online world, getting their best blogging tips and advice and a little bit of gossip too. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of What She Said, and this is episode seven. Oh my god, this week I get to chat to Jess Dante from blog and YouTube channel Love and London. So I didn't actually know Jess Dante last year, but I was introduced to her by a friend of the podcast, Elle Croft, also has a book out, The Guilty Wife. <laughs> Anyway, she knows Jess and she kept saying to me, oh my God, you've got to get Jess on the podcast. She's so interesting. So I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then finally I went onto Jess's YouTube channel and basically binged on it. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. And I had such a fun chat. It was probably one of my favorites ever. Jess was just so cool to talk to. She's doing such different things than anybody else out there in the blogosphere. She's got a super, super, super tight niche and she sells really, really cool products to her massive YouTube audience. (laughs) She makes money from her blog and her YouTube channel in such a different way. I'm so excited to share it with you because it's amazing to be able to show you that it's not just about press trips or brand collaborations or affiliate marketing. You know, you can earn money in a lot of different ways. We chat about her journey to success and we touch on the importance of email lists a little bit too. If you've been worrying that working with brands is the only way to make money in blogging, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being part of it. Oh, thanks for having me. For anybody that doesn't know who you are, would you mind just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your blogging journey? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jess. And at this point in my life, I am the woman that's behind Love and London, which is a media business that uh, helps people who are coming to visit London to have the best trip ever. And the way that I ended up here, I moved to, as you can probably hear, I'm not from England. (laughs) Not from these parts. (laughs) Nope, definitely not. Uh, But I moved here about four and a half years ago um, after I married my British husband. And when When I moved here, I started up a blog called Love and London, and I just kind of wanted to keep up with my family and friends back at home. We had had a bunch of visa issues, and we got married, and it was just a lot happening at once. So the blog was a way to kind of keep everybody updated without having Mm -hmm. to do individual messages and to share photos and for everyone to see back at home what I was getting up to in England. I had been blogging for a while. I lived in Florence for a year, so I started blogging then, and I really enjoyed it. Then about a year and a half after getting to England, I decided I wanted to do something a bit more with the blog. So I started to do more informational content, try to start to do some like sponsored work and stuff like that. And as everyone probably knows, listening to this podcast, it's not as easy as that. (laughs) That's a whole nother story. Anyway, um, I ended up leaving uh, a permanent full-time job that I had had for about a year and a half to go freelance doing social media work and then continuing to work on Love and Lunch. London and also um, another website that I run for American Study Abroad students. And I ended up 
deciding I wanted to try to do more video. I noticed that I personally wasn't reading blogs as much as I used to anymore, but I was watching a lot of YouTube content. So I figured that I should give it a shot and see if that's something that I needed to segue into and what how the market would react to it. I still wasn't quite sure how I wanted to niche down exactly. But long story short, I ended up doing a bunch of test videos and everything that I did about specifically about London did really, really well. So I ended up segueing Love in London into being essentially a media business because it's not just video that creates content that helps people who are coming to visit London. And here we are today, two years later. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyone who does it, who hasn't seen Jess's YouTube channel, definitely go over because although I mean, I suppose now would be a good time to talk about the whole niche because of anyone that I've ever come across in blogging, your niche is so specific. It's so honed, but it's also so authentic because you're not, a well, do you consider yourself a Londoner now? Yes, I do. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're a Londoner, but you're not born and bred Londoner. So you're perfectly placed to tell tourists about how to have the best time in London. Do you find it quite easy to create content with that super tight niche? Because you don't even have to worry about what anyone is doing in England for English people. Yeah, exactly. It's it's funny just on that point for a second too. I've noticed that I've had a lot more people that are following me that live in London, but you know, I always thought that I, I really need to be able to niche down to be able to be successful with any kind of media that I wanted to create. And it's something that I have preached to other clients who are bloggers or businesses, or just want to get started with YouTube and blogging that you need to niche down, you need to niche down. Um, And I didn't really, I guess, realize just how far down you really need to go in order to, to see the success that you probably want to see until I started doing these London videos. So yeah, I, I definitely do think I bring a little bit of a different perspective to it because London, I've been here for four and a half years and London's still fairly new to me. So there's still so much for me to discover. And my English friends and, and my husband as well always joke around that they've all lived within London parameters for their whole lives, but they don't know anywhere near what I know, because I just like, it's still really fresh to me and still really exciting. And they, they've had it all their lives and being a foreigner and an American, it's, that's been really helpful, I think too, because I can kind of relate to, there's so many Americans, obviously that come to London every year and it is the majority of my audience. Although the second biggest demographic that watches my videos is in the UK. So it is a lot of people that are coming to visit London from the rest of the UK, which is really cool. I was watching a video of yours, but I think it was just top tips, things that you need to know basically before you visit London. And it, it blew my mind a little bit. And also I shared it on Twitter because I really think that it should be given to tourists as standard, <laughs> especially <laughs> the bit about stand on the right when you're on the train. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that is not just a international tourist issue. That is just a outside of a London issue. My mum's yeah. done it before and I'm like, oh my God, don't embarrass me. Stand on the right. <laughs> Um, but I learned stuff good that's great I was like oh hey I didn't even know that and that's a really good point (laughs) so I can totally imagine that people from all around the UK are watching as well and Londoners are watching thinking yes you're absolutely right let's please pass this on to my friend before they come to London and embarrass me So going back to the beginning of your blog, did you find any stumbling blocks when you started out, you know, like hiccups and stuff that caused you to pause a little bit and wonder what you were doing and if you wanted to 
make a step change? Yeah, I think if we go back to the beginning days of YouTube, so I say that like my incarnation on YouTube started a couple years ago now. Well, I guess all the niching down bit, that was what I was trying to figure out. I didn't know if maybe I wanted to not get that specific with London and instead do like quote unquote stylish travel or if I wanted to do like specialist packing tips or things like that. I just wasn't sure if I really wanted to limit myself. And looking back, like now I know that there's really infinite amounts of things I could do about London. But looking back, I wasn't or back then I wasn't quite sure if that was what I wanted to do. So it was kind of like a lot of what's that saying, throwing, throwing the pasta against the wall and seeing what sticks or whatever, something like that. So that was, I think, a struggle in the beginning, especially because it's quite hard in the beginning to get things going on YouTube. It does take a lot of perseverance to really start to see things begin to grow. So kind of just like persevering through those first few months and testing things and figuring, figuring out what's going to work best. That was that was quite difficult. And I did go through a couple of periods where I was doing a lot of freelance work. So I just didn't have the time to devote to doing one video a week, which it's really important to be consistent at least once a week on YouTube. Like it, that's the number one thing you really have to do. So, really. and it's a very difficult thing to do. So, um, that's why like, it's really hard for people to really keep things up with YouTube because life gets in the way. And if this is something that's not earning you money, it can be really difficult. So I think probably that was, that was quite tough was figuring out the, what I actually really wanted to do transitioning into that. And then also I mean, to this day, it's hard to be consistent and always hit that once a week video mark. But it's just something that I've, I've had to like, I'm much better at it now. But consistency has definitely been brought up a, a number of times on the podcast is something that as much as you possibly can in blogging and well, now you're saying in YouTube as well, it's really important to be consistent, whether that's once every other week or you know, once a month or especially once a week is quite, is quite good if you can do that. How do you kind of rein yourself in and make sure that you pull something out of the bag each week? I'm a really good planner I, and I'm getting better and better. And so what I usually do is I batch record videos and I batch everything. So when it's a good month, I'll have like four videos scheduled ahead of time. So that's almost about four weeks of content scheduled yeah. ahead of time. That's how I've been able to not have to scramble to get everything sorted for Thursday at 8pm is just to batch everything. And I also have someone who's doing my editing for me now. And so I can send her everything, like all four videos with all of the B roll and everything all together. And then she can also do the batch editing. So then it could be like a week later, I have all four videos ready to go and scheduled. That was definitely the clicking point for me was when I think it was like March of last year when I really got the batching thing down and, and it just changed everything for me. There's so much that goes into so many little pieces that go into, well, blogging as well, but for, for YouTube videos. And I found that when I break down every task for each video in this thing called Asana, which oh, I Asana, absolutely love. yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's it is, amazing. <laughs> it is. It, I, I couldn't survive. I really couldn't survive without it. I mean, my business I, is just so dependent on it. 
I have a, a task template with multiple subtasks of everything that I always have to do for every single video. And then I can move them all around. So I, you know, have to like, I'm looking at it right now, actually, it says like, write scripts for the, this video, I have to send it over to my editor. So that I do that um, on Friday after I record this video tomorrow. And just like breaking all down all those little pieces also makes it a lot less overwhelming. So it seems like, oh, I can I can get all of this stuff done and ahead of time without feeling like I have to scramble. That is a really, really good tip. I've heard that one before, batching. Actually, I think Monica Stott mentioned it in the blogger course, uh, talking about batching tasks. For every single blog post or YouTube video, there will be like a standard thing that you have to do for every single one so it's such a good idea to just duplicate that each time and be like okay I'm going to start off with this and then maybe I have to do a few extra things for this particular video but I can totally see how that would make things a lot less overwhelming talking about how you've grown your business and how it's kind of evolved so I know you briefly mentioned work at kind of doing sponsored content and bits and bobs like that and realizing it wasn't necessarily sustainable or something that you particularly wanted to do I was talking to somebody about this recently, and I think we all go through that as bloggers when you realise that someone will pay you a set fee, whether it's £100, £200, whatever, £300 maybe, at the beginning of your journey, you know, for a post, because you're like, oh, brilliant, I can earn money. And then you're like, oh, my God, I have to do, you know, 10 of these a month to pay all of my bills or however many a month to pay all of my bills. What is that going to look like on my website? And and also, do I want to work with 10 different brands each month on producing content that they have a say in? Did that ring a bell? Was that something that made you want to move away from that and start creating your own products? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So it was it was kind of a combination of that combined with the fact that I was getting super discouraged that anytime I talked to a brand that actually could be maybe a good fit, they were willing to offer you know, a hundred pounds for a, a dedicated video. Meanwhile, I have, I've worked on building up this really dedicated audience for a year and a half. And I have concrete proof that my recommendations, they end up purchasing things through them and they still just don't really see the value in that. I find it's uh, insulting really, and also discouraging. So I, I've just really moved away from that because I've not found any success in it. And I, I just, really felt like what was quite discouraging in all aspects of my business. And it wasn't the mindset that I wanted to get into. And like that being said, I, I wouldn't say that I would never do any sponsored work because it would actually be really great if I found a brand that we could do. There's so many great brands that I love to organically recommend around London, like restaurants and brands that do like hotel brands and things like that, that it, we could, you know, if they were happy to put some budget behind some stuff, then we could make some really cool content. So it's like a win-win for everyone. It's great for the community. It's great for them because they get the PR and the business. And then obviously I cover all of my costs and then some. So, but yeah, it's just like, I found it so discouraging. And also I wanted to always make sure that I was creating content that would be useful for my community and actually help them with their trip. And a lot of what people don't see, I mean, I think everyone listening to this podcast, they'll know this, but a lot of what outsiders don't see is that you might see like a sponsored video on someone's YouTube channel. And even if you happen to hear like they got a grand for that video or whatever, 
and it seems like, oh, all they had to do was upload a 15 minute video and they mentioned this and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But nobody sees how many hours and hours and hours behind the scenes it takes for that one piece of content to be created. And actually, I would prefer to use those 10 hours of getting the contract sorted and having to reshoot it because they weren't happy with it. I'd rather take those 10 hours and put it into creating a paid product that I know is going to be really helpful for my community, but then also anything that they pay for that product is going back to me and not to a brand. And I'm getting technically like a sliver of it, if you know what I mean. Totally, so yeah, I think it's a really smart move. And I don't, I think not enough people think about it in those terms that those, mm-hmm. you know, it's all well and good getting paid a thousand pounds or whatever. And it is great, but you really do have to know how much time each task is going to take. And is that worth it for you? And is it worth it for your audience? And could you be making more money doing something else? (laughs) I'm definitely on the side that you're in, in terms of working with brands. I don't like to do it very often, just purely because I think my time is better spent doing other things. I can earn more money with that hour that I was spending on this, on, on a, you know, Instagram post or whatever. I don't know, hustling for client work. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just not worth it to me. And it is, actually, you touched upon something that I suppose isn't as tangible, which is the fact that it can be really discouraging. It's hard being a freelancer and it's hard when you're in the online world. It's hard enough not comparing yourself to everybody else and all the all the other traps that you can fall into. So when someone's telling you all that hard work that you've put into your community and your blog or your YouTube channel, whatever, isn't worth more than 50 quid, <laughs> it's really discouraging. And it isn't a good mindset to get into if you're trying to grow a business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm with you on that. Cool. <laughs> Let's talk about your paid products because you have some really really great resources which I haven't seen anyone else really doing do you want to talk about how you went into that side of things with your business from the beginning of this year I really wanted to start launching my own products for a variety of reasons there's a a lot of questions that I get from the community for really in-depth recommendations for things to do places to eat stuff like that that really can't be answered in like a one or two line Instagram post and also Things like it takes me a really long time to put together guides. I would like to like, I guess, create things for people that are quite in-depth, but obviously like it takes so much time to create those. And I do have to put a value on my expertise and, and the fact that I know really good places to go in London and things like that. So I felt quite confident that my audience would be willing to purchase something like the local guide to London, which I, I'll explain that in a second or any other like services that I wanted to offer. So at the beginning of last year, I think I put out a survey. Yeah, that was that was it. I put out a viewer survey in March to my audience. Um, and 600 people responded to it, giving wow. feedback. Yeah, I, it was really good. I was just looking at it because I'm doing a year end one. Um, I'm writing it up this morning, actually. But 600 people responded and they gave some really great feedback on what they've liked so far, what they would be looking for for their trip, like what they're struggling with. And then I just put some ideas down and said, would you possibly be willing to purchase something or like get involved in this if I created it. So one of the options was like a comprehensive guide of all of my recommendations of local things to do and see and eat and drink in London with a digital map 
One of them was like a membership group. Another was a three-day itinerary. And then there's one other thing. I can't remember what it was. Oh, a course. That was it. A, a trip planning course. And so those were the kind of like my prelim ideas for, for what to create. And people actually seemed really, they were really into pretty much everything except they weren't sure about the group memberships, which was completely fine. So I ended up putting together a pre-order campaign. So I said, I really want to make this guide. It's going to have all my recommendations. It's going to have a digital map that you can put on your phone. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. If you pre-order it now, you're telling me that you want it, obviously, but then also you are going to get a cheaper price because you're, I haven't made it yet. And then if it doesn't happen, you know, then I'll give you, you get your money back. But uh, it just kind of like helps me to cover costs, blah, blah, blah. And that did really well. I um, got 115 orders via India go go and people were really excited about it so I ended up making that and that's been probably my biggest project so far in terms of paid products it's done really well the feedback's been great people have been purchasing it it's something that I need to kind of revamp in the coming year but it's been really good and like it's really cool to be able to share in-depth information with the audience. And then I have another product that I'm launching in January. That's the three-day itinerary. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And we had some people pre-order that and I've had great feedback on how that's looked so far. And then even more recently, uh, just to get like completely different than I think what I've seen other YouTubers and bloggers do is I've launched a London vacation photography service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw this. Oh yeah, good. There are a couple of companies that do it in London, but I wanted to offer something at a little bit of a lower price point. And I have a friend who's a photographer. He's the one who's been doing all the photos. He's really good. And I was really keen to work with him. And I just thought it would be a really nice thing to test with the community. So it's gone over really well. We have a bunch of bookings already in the next three months, which is really exciting. And yeah. And then I offer also like London trip planning consultations and I can make a bespoke itinerary, but those cost a lot more so they haven't been um, quite as popular. I think it's such a clever idea to diversify in the way that you have as well that you've got a few different things all targeted to the same audience. It's just that different audience members at different stages of their life somebody who is living in the UK who is younger whatever maybe a blogger coming to London would love that photo package is such a good idea I mean to be fair I think anyone would but everybody wants that gorgeous picture for their Instagram whether they're a blogger or not but then maybe if you've got a bit more money you want a proper bespoke package especially if you're coming from outside of the UK coming to London it's quite a big trip yeah exactly yeah so just thinking about like the feedback that I get from my audience. You're exactly right. It's, it is a massive trip for a, a lot of the people who follow me. And it's like a once in a lifetime. I have, I get messages from people, especially Americans who've never been abroad before, but they're coming for like their 30th anniversary. So there's so much pressure put onto not, not only just pressure, it's fun as well, but like, there's a lot of planning that goes into it. This is a really, really, really big trip for them and a really big deal. And they've been waiting for this for maybe a few years. So I guess all of it is is supposed to be helping people like that. But the London photo sessions have been actually, it's really funny, because I thought it was going to be a lot of families that did it. But actually, it's all of our bookings have been solo travelers and couples. Yeah, I can see that because that's where no one else is, you feel a bit more vulnerable to ask somebody else to take a bit, especially in London, because, you know, we're not the friendliest. <laughs> and in any big city, you don't necessarily want to hand over your expensive camera or even your your 
smartphone or whatever to some stranger to be like take a picture of me yeah so yeah I could totally see that because I was thinking in my head oh you know what I need some new headshots maybe I do this yeah yeah such a good idea I'll I'll give you Charles's information you can chat with him as with pretty much everything that I've made for love in London I think of what I would like in another place so like I went to Vietnam and that was the first big trip I've done in like the last few years really but I went to Vietnam with my husband we were there for two and a half weeks and I was just like taking notes the whole time because it was it was my first time to Asia and it was such a completely foreign place to me so I was trying to like put myself in the love in London community shoes and and see like okay well Tom and I are trying to, like, we ended up having, like, one photo of the two of us from the entire trip because he doesn't particularly like to take photos. I wasn't really keen to hand over my expensive mirrorless camera to, like, a stranger. Or if you do, like, they don't come out very nice a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. That's totally fine. Like, not everyone can know how to use a camera, I guess. So that was, it was just kind of like a brainchild from just my own experience of what I would have liked to have had when I was traveling. Is that where you get most of your, well, I guess that's where you get all of your content ideas from direct feedback from your community. And how do they, how do they contact you? Do you scroll through the comments on your videos? Do people email you? Social media, blog, all of the above, I guess. Yes, all of the above. People ask loads of questions. I kind of just compile a list of questions that people, uh, multiple people have asked. So like, they'll write on the, like you said, like on the videos, I get DMs, I get emails. I get loads of stuff, which is great because it means I'll never run out of content to create. Also, like I do like to help them if I can help them when they've asked that question, because then obviously like it helps their trip and it helps to like position me as an expert and all it just helps everybody all around and keeps them engaged in the community. I'll never really be at a loss for content, I think, because only my own limitations of, I guess, like when it gets to be, we need to do really in-depth videos and it's going to be like a three-day shoot and stuff, then we get, then that could potentially be the limit. But in, in the end, I'll just always have, always have ideas because people are just always asking questions. And also people ask questions about things I've actually gone over already. So it just means I either need to explain it better, or maybe there's another angle I can take on a certain, certain video because I'm not answering that particular part of it. Right. So I have a long list and we'll always have a long list, hopefully. So thinking about kind of your setup on YouTube, because it's not your full time gig, it's pretty labor intensive shooting and editing and putting out there with a YouTube video. Did you always think I'm just going to keep this as simple as possible? Because a lot of your videos will be just you kind of talking to the camera um you've obviously got other types of videos as well but the majority are nice and simple and it's just you it's just you sat there talking to the camera I did keep it simple but only because that's kind of really all I've been able to do I guess I've had my friend editing for me since April um and that's been really helpful because she's really helped to make make the videos a bit more interesting especially when it's just me sitting but I've only this last month was able to have a little bit of budget to be able to hire somebody to come and do some Christmas videos like actually on location and around town I have purposefully kept it like that because I guess it's kind of all I can really afford at this point. Mm-hmm. I put a lot of the money that I do generate from selling all of this stuff 
back into the business to be able to do that kind of stuff. So I, I think like on YouTube, that works really well because a lot of people are quite used to watching people on YouTube that are sat in their bedrooms yes. and are just talking like you're a friend. And I definitely would love to be like position myself as a friend that my community members have in London. Like the best trips that I ever have is when I have friends that live in that city and can tell me the best things to do yeah. and see. And I like I in the end that's what I that's my mission is to is to be that friends for somebody. And if it feels like we're sitting in my living room just chatting, then I think that actually, even though it's really good to have as much on location stuff as I can possibly do, in the end that that is okay and that that can work well for my brand. And I think as well for anybody starting out on YouTube, because sometimes that can really hold us back. I always talk about, you know, comparing our real life to someone else's highlight reel. And I guess this also works when you're looking at somebody else and comparing their like on location shoots because they're getting paid full time and they have an editor, a full time editor and, you know, the brand's paying for things. It's done is better than perfect. And what I'm saying if you don't do on location shoots, it's not perfect. But do you know what I mean? Like, yes. work with what you've got and make that the best, which is, I think, way more important than trying to do something that isn't actually realistic for your real life and then not doing it at all. Yes, 100%. I totally, totally agree with that. <laughs> it is the best advice I think that anyone could take on when trying to do anything like in media, I guess, really. Mm. And especially YouTube, though, like people look at YouTube, including myself, and it looks so daunting. Yes, especially now, especially now. A few years ago, not so much. But now, and in travel as well, I find it, in, I, you know, I've never I've dabbled in YouTube, but I've always been terrified because of that reason. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, that's okay. That No, that's it. But that's exactly what I was going to say. And, and you're right, especially in travel, there's, and this is so great, but there's so many people now that are um, doing incredibly beautiful travel videos. And I wouldn't even know where to begin with that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So yeah. again, this is also where niching down into London's really worked. Oh, another reason that I actually decided to go or to try doing London content is I went to a blogging conference, I guess about three years ago now. And I sat in on a talk by the digital marketing head of digital marketing, I think he was for Kentucky. And it was about doing video. And this was before I started doing any video, I was like, kind of thinking about it. But it was the first the first session I sat in on, and I will never forget some of the stuff that this guy said, and I completely forget his name now, but he made some amazing points where he said, there's not many people doing travel, so you should, if you start now, then that's going to be really good for you. But he also said, don't feel like you have to go and travel to be a travel creator. People, even if you think your hometown's boring, there are so many people around the world that would kill to be able to come to London's obviously a very obvious example, but like even if you live, I don't know, if you're in Manchester, if you're somewhere in the US that you're like, oh, people aren't really that into it. Actually, there are so many outsiders 
um, that would be so interested to learn about where you live and what it's like living there and costs of living there and your take as a local. And so he said, you know, nobody's doing stuff about London and you have an amazing city here. So, and I was like, Oh, done. Okay, great. So I should definitely try to do the London stuff. So, yes, and I love that because I think the, the people listening to this podcast and all of them are in travel, but I'm pretty positive all of them would love to write about travel at some point, or a lot of them are lifestyle bloggers, so sometimes they dip in and out of travel. But I see people doing it when they go on holiday. I'm like, why don't you just do it right now? You know, even like a little eating guide to your local village, because chances are you've got a hotel or a B&B, someone's staying there, someone's going to be Googling it. Yeah, exactly. If you can create content around that and like nobody else has done that, then that's pretty powerful. Especially if if you happen to throw an affiliate link in there or something and it's a really tailored piece of content that's quite useful. You could actually do pretty well off of one piece of content because you've you've done something that nobody else has done before. What has been something that you found has really, really grown your audience and Has there been one thing that's really, really helped? Because I know things have really, really taken off. I mean, you've only been doing YouTube for two years, but I I think I heard you say in one of your videos that things have doubled in the past year. If I had to attribute one thing, and I I don't believe in like, this is the secret to, to YouTube or anything like that, but if I had to attribute one thing to the success of the brand overall the most, it would be when I started um, my email list. Interesting. This is something that people don't talk about very much when it comes to YouTube. But uh, when I started to grow my email list via my videos, that's really when everything started to grow. And I think that would be for a few reasons. One is that to get on my email list, they had to give me their email address, but they would get a free guide. So I have a a London 101 guide, which it's not anything absolutely crazy, but if it's your first time to London, it has a load of really good information in there and people love that and that's free. So they're like, Hey, that's cool. Also the, the not without getting too technical into the algorithm of YouTube, but, uh, YouTube rewards your videos and promote your videos more, uh, the more eyeballs that you can get on them in the first uh, 24 hours and then also uh, seven days. But the first 24 hours is, is the most important. So, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it kind of, um, when you build, start to build up your email list, it has a bit of a, like a um, back and forth snowball effect. So if you have a few hundred people on your email list or even just a hundred or so, and you email them the the second that your new video goes live and it gives that video a good push of people and eyeballs in the first 24 hours, YouTube's like, oh, hey, that's cool. And then they start to promote your that video and other videos more, which in turn, then more people will sign up to your email list because they're seeing your videos where you mentioned, hey, you get this free guide if you sign up to my email list. So it kind of like is a really good back and forth. And then I saw like the snowball effect kind of start to take take on once I started building up that email list. And that is 100%. That's like my most valuable asset probably behind, I 
I guess YouTube and is quite valuable, obviously, to me as well. But the email list is is where I do like loads of nurturing. That's where most of my sales of any of my um, products come from. And it's where my most engaged customers always are. So they're the ones that are replying to me. They're the ones that are taking the surveys when I ask for them to do that. Um, and they're giving me really good feedback. So that's yeah, that would be the email list. One hundred percent, I recommend it to everyone. I completely agree. I have I have the same thing with my email list. They're my most uh, engaged clients. They are the ones that turn into coaching clients. So yeah, and I I hadn't really been focusing on it for a long time. And then just in the past six months, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to experiment a little bit with Mailchimp. I'd be interested to see how you nurture your list because I think MailChimp is incredible even the free features are amazing mm-hmm. I started segmenting my audience a lot into how they engaged with my emails so as soon as someone signs up they'll get a nice kind of drip fed three emails about me because that's when some that's when that person is most engaged with you they want to find out all about you so there I kind of direct them to various bits and pieces that I do the podcast my blog social media all of that sort of stuff and then every other week I'll write super personal stuff to my email list just letters really where I'll just chat to them about my life da 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 as opposed to writing kind of specific topics it'll be more about me and I found that to be really really successful I get a lot more engagement through my email list than I do through anything else well that and Instagram, I guess. But yeah, so it's interesting to hear you talk about how you you clearly really, really value your email list. Because I think people don't, actually. People sort of leave a, an arbitrary sign-up form on their site and just collect emails but don't do a lot with them. Yeah, or even just, just the fact, like you said, have just the sign-up um, newsletter but don't really – or a sign-up form but don't really communicate what, the, what value – that someone in the community giving their email address, what they'll get out of it, um, besides like updates and, and stuff like that. Something just off of your mention of how you're, you found a lot of success with your more personal, personal emails. I think that's a really good idea. Maybe that's something I need to do a little bit. I need to do more. Um, cause love in London is such a like information heavy mm-hmm. brand, but I'm trying to work in a few more ways of how to incorporate the personal side of it a little bit more without like watering down your kind of exactly and keeping it relevant. And also, I don't really want to dip too much into my personal life and stuff like that. But I think actually email could that could be a really good way. So I'll have to have a think about I would really recommend it. And and it's where you can you can test things out. But also where you can talk about the things that you wish you could talk about in your blog, but you you can't for whatever reason. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's not. I don't necessarily want to talk about where I live or anything. Bar London, I would really recommend it. It's quite satisfying as well. Okay. And let me know how it goes. I will. <laughs> Do you want to let everybody know where they can find you online and let us know what you're up to? Sure. Um, so it's Love End London. So there's the website, loveendlondon.com. YouTube where, is where all of my, the good juicy stuff's at. So that's just, um, if you just search Love End London, you will find that. So that's A-N-D, not in A-N-D. 
I'm on Instagram, a little bit on um, Twitter, and that's the majority of everything. What's coming up is I've just launched uh, some Christmas content. So if you're in London for Christmas, there's loads of stuff all over the Love in London branch for that. And then I will be launching the three-day itinerary in January. So if you're here for 72 hours or longer, then could be a good option for you. And actually, this will be out in January. Oh, perfect. So if you're okay, planning perfect. your Christmas 2018, definitely go over to Jess's YouTube and have a look at all of the content. But uh, the three-day itinerary will be pretty timely. Great, perfect. Thank you so, so much for being part of the podcast, Jess. It's been awesome to chat to you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. Great.